0: And as corporations, we can do something about it. And my experience here is that we should. Just like we're now saying that schools need to lead conversation and education around consent, there is an entire population of people that have never had that training. And while we might have sexual harassment policies at work and we might have bullying policies at work, you know, to have policies around how we respond, and I guess that's what I will say about our policy. It talks about how we will respond to victims of violence, you know, I put some words around the fact that we don't condone violence, but it's very focused on what we can do. And it's about responding to the victims and having this victim focused approach when we are responding to situations amongst our team.
1: Welcome to the Medusa's Mic podcast, where we come together to stop sexual violence my name is Lucretia Rackfield, and I'm so very honoured to have your company today. Medusa was a victim survivor of a sexual assault who was blamed, punished, and had her voice taken away. Too many people can still relate to her story, and we want to change that. It's time for Medusa to take back the mic. In this podcast, we'll share the personal stories of victim survivors, hear from experts in sexual violence prevention and response, and talk to the quiet leaders who are creating real change. Sometimes the content may be confronting, and I urge you to seek support when you need it. But overall, I hope each episode helps you to feel more informed and empowered to take action to stop sexual violence in your community. Now, Let's hear from today's guest. Today's episode is a continuation of my conversation with Morgana Pryor. Morgana works for an organization based in Papua New Guinea, and they have taken a very active role in addressing domestic and sexual violence in their organization and indeed across the sector. I have learned so much already from Morgana, and I can't wait to share part two of this conversation with you. Let's do it. I guess I was doing a bit of reading up on the Bell EC website. Now, Bell EC is the, basically, it's the organization that provides a lot of support and guidance to corporates um, and is funded by the corporates. Is that my understanding correct there? But basically it provides support services and guidance to organisations about how to manage these issues and also provides support for victims as well. Is that correct, my understanding there? Great. I was looking at their website and they were talking about these statistics, which were Mm. pretty full on. So I'm just going to repeat what I read. And it was saying three out of four women will experience physical or sexual violence in PNG. And a recent survey of three major Papua New Guinea companies found that 68% of employees had experienced domestic or sexual violence in the past 12 months. That is just an extraordinarily huge number. And they went on further to talk a little bit about the impacts that that has for businesses. So we're not just talking about there is the personal impact. We do not want people to be experiencing that. Full stop, people have a right to be safe, feel secure, and taken care of. But from the business perspective, there is obviously a loss of work time. So that means a loss of income for the victim and a loss of their independence as a result. But also, there's that loss of work impact for the business as well. But there's also to the increased workplace risk around that result from someone experiencing that kind of trauma, which can then affect their ability to be paying attention. And in certain roles, I'm assuming that would be a very, could have very uh, serious consequences potentially if they are operating machinery or making high level risk decisions, et cetera. So I think Mm -hmm. there is that kind of that's the fallout of it, isn't it? It's the personal really converging there with the professional and the business and creating like a perfect storm situation if it's not handled appropriately and not addressed and sorted out.
0: There is no way that a victim of violence, family violence, can perform at their at their best abilities in the workforce whilst they're experiencing that violence. There is too much um crossover into your day-to-day life if you look at so our our policy on family and sexual violence talks about it even outlines all the different things but you know stalking you know these things don't happen it's not like I just got beaten once these people are you know people who are experiencing violence are usually experiencing a range of types of violence so they might be being the financial control so they literally hear stories of people having their visa cards taken off and they can't have access to their own money because their partners have taken control of that. So therefore they are—they can't do things like they can't get themselves lunch, they can't get themselves, they can't get money out if they want to take a taxi somewhere so that they can get, get away. They can't pay for a phone so that they can call someone. They end up quite controlled through those sorts of means. Stalking is like, I've, I've seen it play out a lot here, stalking like of our staff just... You know, not just with the phones, but also physically showing up and being in their grill, just waiting for them all the time. Like the the last, as soon as you walk out of the business, like they're just there and taking that to extreme levels, coming up to the business floors. So being stalked is also a part of it. And then, of course, there's the violence that goes alongside all of that, the the belittling. One of the things I did get invited. So, from a from a sector perspective, we've talked a bit about the organizational perspective, of what number one soup has done. But Belisi has also said, all right, let's bring corporations together now that you've established these policies and you've been doing them for a year or so. Let's come together and talk about it and what's working and what's not working. Let's learn from each other. It's been such a good Um, approach, really, because it's gone from being something that's under the covers and nobody's talking about to we've got our corporate policies and now we're coming together, the sector's coming together and we're talking about what's working and what's not working. So one business talked about that they have established a survivor's group. So women go once a week or once a month. I couldn't remember. It was just open, anyone can come. They bring lunch, they sit, they talk about, you know, their experiences and very senior women have been a part of that. They go, they sit, they are examples to the other women in the teens that, you know, I survived this. And so they're talking about you know, Sorry, I'm just going
1: to say, Morgana, I'm, I'm hearing you say this and I'm smiling and I'm feeling tearful because what that is is the true integration of the business with community and the actual heart that goes behind that and the, the compassion that goes behind yeah. it. And I just think that is an extraordinary and a really wonderful and beautiful thing to be doing that can only have positive outcomes for the personal people who, like the people who are actually experiencing or have experienced that violence and the survivors and the other people who are connected to them in that community. I think that's just extraordinary.
0: So it really, I I really think that corporations do have a role to play and I didn't think it before I came here. So I I guess I didn't think corporations don't have a role to play before I came here. I just had never thought about it. I'd thought about that we've got all these other structures. And I, you know, Emma, I'm completely, if any of my friends have ever come to me and sort of talked to me about any of these stories, obviously I've been, you know, supportive and trying to help. But now it's kind of like, okay, if I had been, even in that young team leader role, if there was a policy, I would have looked it up and I would have gone, right, this is what we need to do now to make sure that this young woman, is going to be able to continue on her career and be, you know, a productive working member of society. And as corporations, we do, we can do something about it. And I think, and my experience here is that we should. And that we should be, just like we're now saying that schools need to lead conversation and education around consent, there is an entire population of people that have never had that training. And while we might have sexual harassment policies. At work and we might have bullying policies at work you know to have policies around how we respond and i guess that's what i will say about our policy it talks about how we will respond to victims of violence it doesn't you know and put some words around the fact that we don't condone violence but it's very focused on what we can do and it's about responding to the victims and having this victim focused approach when we are responding to situations amongst our team. Mm,
1: mm. I just think it's fantastic. I guess some, with Bell EC, obviously that is the funded organisation that's helping everybody to respond to this from the corporate level and also the survivors. And obviously they have a lot of cultural knowledge as well, which I would imagine would be invaluable in it helping to advise corporations on how to even approach this and the, diff- the nuances within that, because that, we're talking about a cross cultural setting here, there'd be so many layers there that, as an Australian woman, for example, you wouldn't have a clue about.
0: Yeah. So, our business, number one super is our Papua New Guinea, big Papua New Guinean superannuation fund. We have just over 200 staff. We have three expatriates, and those three expatriates are in more senior levels. But across all of these corporations, similarly, you see the same thing. You have a handful of expatriates working in a largely Papua New Guinean business, but it does mean that at a leadership level, there is that cross cultural component to it. And I and I would say, pretty much ninety nine percent of the expatriates I see working in PNG relish the cultural difference, and they you know they see all of the benefits of what having this incredibly old living culture means. And you see, you you know, you have incredible experiences that you'll never have anywhere else. So there's a lot of terrific stuff that comes from the cultural side of things as well. But all of these, there's a lot of people in leadership roles that are coming at it from, I'm not from here. And it's a delicate balance for me to get it right. But it also means that we come from a place of going, well, we know this shouldn't be happening. And we've seen that at least in other places, there is, you know, more support. And I think that does mean that when Bellissi had this idea, when the World Search Foundation had the idea of doing this, that they didn't have to try too hard to convince some very senior um, business leaders to go, you're right, it's something that we should be doing and we need to get involved. Mm. Great idea that they did it and that mm. they, that it's been so effective.
1: I think it's incredible. So, I guess from a personal level, what has been the biggest, some of the biggest things that you've learned about yourself when having to navigate these issues and some of the biggest challenges that you've had?
0: So there's probably two sides of it for me. So from the corporation perspective, so having a policy is really good and helpful. It sets the tone. The training is important. Um, It makes sure that everybody has a really good understanding of the issues. But men are a little bit worried about getting engaged in
1: it. Hi, Lucretia here. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. I always learn so much from my guests and I hope you do too. After all, the whole reason for this podcast is to empower everyday people like you and me with the information and tools we need to stop sexual violence in our communities. I honestly believe we all have a role to play and we can create real change through our own grassroots actions. If you'd like to support this podcast and help fund its production and promotion so we can reach even more people, you can become a patron. Just click the button on the website or in the Podbean app and put in your details. You can give as much or as little as you like and I would be so grateful for your support. Now, let's get back to today's guest.
0: So when there's training that's occurring, I saw firsthand that our executive leaders, our executive men, were not showing up when this training was being delivered. and. You know, I had to call them out on that. I just felt that it was sending the wrong message. And I knew that they cared about it because I sat in the meetings where we talked about the policies and where we established the policies. They cared. They were progressive thinking on it. But meanwhile, when it came to being seen at the right time, they just didn't show up. And, And it was actually one of our other executive men that said, some of the men are a bit scared about, you know, being um, involved, we feel a bit uncomfortable about it. And I was like, you know, inside, <laughs> the way, it's so sad for you feeling uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> and all the terrible things that are happening to the women. That's, it's not okay. You need to step up. And, and in fact, the business responded by organising training just for men so that men felt safer to be discussing these issues. So, so I, you know, even that in itself shows that this business is very committed to making sure that all of our staff are across the purpose of this policy and that they are participating in, in learning about it. Mm. I'm really glad that I was here. You know, I am an outspoken person anyway, but being, being here and holding the leadership team to account, it's not your responsibility to just put the policy in place. It's your responsibility to make the business understand that you mean it. And if you mean it, you need to be sent. So that's something that I will say. If you're going to go down this path, you have to be, you have to know how you're going to implement it. And you have to be able to go, it is not just a woman's problem, you know, because women are primarily the victims. You know, I don't want to go into these small statistics issues, but you know, we need to make sure that women can see that the men who are generally still very much the leaders of businesses in PNG, and I know the issue is similar in Australia, are supporting the changes and adopting the policies and that they know that they have a a safety net with those men. So so that's been one of them. Then from, from the perspective of getting involved in individual cases, so I have had to get involved in individual cases in PNG, and so one of those cases was a staff Member who had been quite brutally beaten. And now for in PNG, people won't come to work and not no, they don't notify you. So that is a weird thing for me in the first place. You can so someone can not come to work and they people will go, oh, they just must be sick today. There's nothing in the policies that say they have <laughs> to tell you to because people don't have the same access to communications. So these policies are you know, slightly different. And so with this particular case, this staff member, I'd seen an earlier medical certificate. And I had suspicions that she was experiencing violence. So it had been, I had my policy. I had suspicions that she was experiencing violence and we'd already spoken about it. And I'd also spoken to another one of the people in the the team here who had experienced violence, who was doing well. She was out of violence. She was safe and, you know, several years out of it. And I had asked her to to potentially have a chat with her about it as well from a you know culturally sensitive perspective maybe and not just culturally sensitive I'm also up here they call me the boss Mary (laughs) which means I'm the boss lady and so when you're the boss Mary you don't necessarily want to have a heart to heart with the boss Mary so you know I, I asked this other staff member to have a chat so we knew that there was violence being experienced there and we were, you know, trying to have these careful conversations around it when the opportunities arose. So when this staff member didn't come to work, you know, alarm bells were going off for us. And by the time we managed to get her on the phone, it was a couple of days later, I sort of said, well, you going to need to come in, you're going to have to apply for leave. And so when all of that happened and she came in, it was, it was so clear that she just could not be there. So she she was very covered and she was very we, we managed to have a small private conversation. She was very ashamed about what had happened, which was really sad in itself. She knew that we that people had tried to help her, and I think she felt the pressure of, of all of that. But, you know, the fact that she was internalizing that and making it just you know, silly, but people respond in different ways. But then the business had to think about her particular circumstance. So how will we respond? We have the policy. The policy says we're going to respond. The policy says we're going to provide help somehow. So how are we going to do that? And so that was what I found really interesting as the the conversations that we were having between myself and other members of the leadership team about responding to this particular case. The perpetrator of the violence um, didn't live locally and they lived, you know, over another part of... um, Papua New Guinea, and you have to fly everywhere in PNG. So they, they were sort of stuck once our team member cancelled the lease and moved back with their family. They had nowhere to live. And, you know, the, initially the response was, well, let's just fly this perpetrator back to where they're from and get them out of the hair and, you know, let her be, be safe. And I, and I said, well, hang on, you know, let's go back and think about this policy. This is not a very victim-based response you know, our victim has suffered, what are we doing for her and her circumstances? And knowing about her circumstances, which we did know, you know, not many people are actually born in Port Moresby. Most people come from another place. Every time you see a new staff announcement, it talks about their place of origin. So we knew this staff member came from a different place of origin where we also had a branch. And, you know, I knew that coming up there, I had work where I needed to, where it would be beneficial to have staff boots on the ground doing some, some work. So, you know, I. I suggested that perhaps we should take this different path and let's relocate her back to her home, her place of origin, where her family are, her immediate family versus her, you know, extended family. The people that are, you know, sometimes when things that happen that are really hard, you want to go to mum. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. so this gave her the opportunity to go to home, home, and work from our other office, be productive recover away from all the chatter of everything going on without all the other eyes watching, without all that judgment, which our policy clearly says we're not supposed to do, and allow her to just focus on herself. And it also meant the perpetrator had to solve their own problem, that we weren't going to solve their problem. Because I did have that. That really bothered me, that we were going to solve their problem. (laughs) I was like, I don't think that's the right response. Now, this particular staff member had been really, you know, she'd been at one of the highlights in terms of her development, professional development. And this particular incident, it, you know, you talked about it earlier, Lucretia, that when you're having when you're experiencing something like this, you cannot perform at your best. You cannot necessarily perform tasks that you usually can perform almost, you know, on autopilot. So by putting this in place and getting her recovered immediately recovered we were careful around when she would come back because we didn't want um, people to get wind of that back here and we just wanted to make sure that that information was not well known and so she got to stay and and recover by the time she came back she was definitely ready to re-engage with work but I will say it took a long time for her to get back to the same level of performance as to where she was before. And I'm talking like months. It wasn't a very quick recovery. And I think in the same way that you might have compassion for someone who might have had cancer or a, a woman who's had a baby and returning to the workforce after 12 months, that you need to give these people time to, get, to figure out how they're going to operate again, especially if they have suffered very significant violence. And I look at this now and I think about where this staff member is now and how they're performing. And I just think what a great outcome for the business because they are really doing well. They're still here and working for us and they're doing great. Like they're doing great work, high performing. They've got heaps of potential in the future for the business and within the business if they choose to stay with us. I'm just so glad that we were able to do that. And she's not in any violent relationships now, so... You know, and her life is her life and she has to make her own decisions around who she's going to be in relationships with. But it is nice to see that she's thriving. Professionally, you know, I don't know too much about what's going on in personal life, but it seems like it's much better managed. So that's really nice. Mm. So that's, you know, great case that I've been involved in. But one of the other cases that I've been involved in that was really particularly eye-opening for me was that someone who had perpetrated violence spoke to me. And and you know, admitted, reported, self-reported an incident that had occurred. And you know, I was I was surprised and I was a bit shocked, and I had the policy to guide me as to what I was supposed to do because it tells me that if we know that someone has been a perpetrator of violence, that we report it, and that we will take action that could range from you know counseling providing counselling and support, through to reporting to the police, being dismissed. You know, there were options. So by this person reporting, self-reporting to me this incident had occurred, you know, I had a sense of, well, I don't think dismissal and reporting to the police is what they're looking for. They're looking for counselling. And the conversation that I had with this person was really just like, So heartbreaking. So this particular staff member had said that they had grown up in a violent home and that they had consciously made a decision that they were never going to um, be a perpetrator of domestic violence. They just didn't want it to be a part of their home. And so an incident had occurred and um, there'd been a lead-up to it. You know, within the family there'd been a few things going on and um, this staff member had spoken to their friends and looked for, asked for advice about ways that they might know, what do you think I should do, mate, you know? And every single one of them had said you need to bring her into line or basically statements along the lines of the only way to solve this situation is to abuse your wife that beat them. Wow.
1: Wow. Because it's so culturally entrenched that that is how a man deals with an issue with his wife. Correct extraordinary
0: and he did it he did something which you know was not great so he told me what had happened and it was you know a short incident you know he saw the terror wife's face saw his children screaming and crying with fear he stopped walked away and went this is not what I want to do removed himself from the situation and then you know soon after self-reported to me what had happened. And I just, you know, the, the part that no one, there was no friend that could provide advice that said, you know, there's other ways to deal with this than beating your wife. Like this is why professional counselling services are so important. So Balisi actually only offered counselling for survivors of violence, so for victims and survivors of violence. So I had to speak to, again, the people involved in the leadership team involved in this policy and say, well, it says we will provide counselling. We need to find another service, someone who can provide, you know, proper service counselling to someone to provide strategies, someone who doesn't want to commit violence which we did. So the business found that, found some services to provide there. And again, services are harder to come by in in PNG, but we did find um, something to connect this staff member to some better counselling. And again, like they're still working here, this staff member, they are a productive member of the team. They have an excellent corporate history. That would be super sad to lose lose through the business as well and they you know they're, they're, they're back to their normal performing self after going through this period of what was a very difficult time in his relationship where he had no just no you know you know no employer assistance program where you can go and have a couple of sessions with a counselor to talk about these different things and how what coping strategies you might have so I do see the importance of it from both perspectives it requires managers it requires people who who are prepared to speak to managers, different levels of management, who think that they are going to provide and respond appropriately. Well, to- I think
1: just on that, Morgana, the fact that he felt comfortable enough that everybody that he went to, right, after he'd, done, he'd gone and said, I'm having these issues with my my wife to his mates, his mates said basically, beat the crap out of her. That's That'll sort it out because that's their standard response he found himself in a situation where he perpetrated violence that he'd always sworn that he would never do. And then of all the places he went to for support, he came to the organisation and knew and went, I've done this. Because he was just like, I do not want to be this person. And Mm -hmm. he had shocked himself and he didn't have anywhere else to go. And the fact that the organisation then responded with, support to change the behavior because that I think was probably a really critical turning point if he hadn't been able to access support at that moment it's quite likely highly probable that he would have gone on to perpetrate more violence you know without someone stepping in to help him to work out a different way to approach things a different way to process to unravel the conditioning that he's grown up in that he's seen repeatedly he the likelihood of him continuing that behaviour and. Escalating that behaviour is really high. So that was a really critical juncture. I, I think that's amazing. That's a really great outcome.
0: So the, having been involved, so there are a couple of good examples of cases I've had to get involved in. There's been more cases here. But it, it does it's really shown me how much having, you know, direction, understanding, having the structures in place in a business can make a difference to individuals and the organisation as a whole in terms of retaining high-performing staff and people that you want to keep in your business. It does mean that people need to have a fair bit of emotional intelligence. So things that, you know, people that move into leadership positions don't necessarily think they're ever going to be called to do. I guess it talks about the and certainly in P&G, corporations are like families. They're, you know, people rely heavily on their, employers, just as you know that you can trust your family, they do feel that they can trust their employers. So there's possibly a slightly different relationship between staff and their employer in PNG as well. But it has really shown me how much a policy can make a difference to staff experiencing violence and even perpetrating violence.
1: It's just I'm just I've found this entire conversation to be riveting I'm not exaggerating that at all. I genuinely, the work that the organisations are doing in PNG in partnership with, you know, the cultural expertise you're getting through Belisi is just, it would seem to me that you are actually creating some really positive outcomes for victims and for victim survivors and perpetrators, which is just wonderful. To hear And from and a very like, practical perspective, you know, you're doing things in a practical way. It's not just talking about it because a lot of people will talk about these things and they will develop a policy, but you're yeah. actually backing that up with action and training and implementation.
0: The training is very important, but I will say we also do the PR, you know what I mean? But what I like is the PR is not all it is. So um, each year, at least once a year, there's usually a big drive around which businesses say no to domestic violence, which businesses say stop domestic violence in PNG. So we always take part in those drives and we do, you know, the community walks, we, you know, encourage our staff to do that stuff that's more about the public relations side of it, keeping a spotlight on the issue. Um, we don't do PR around what we do in terms of response, but it makes me feel good that we're working for a business where it is much more than just the PR. I know what a difference it's making firsthand for staff on the ground.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess I'd just like to um, finish up by asking you if there was one thing that you could say that you think people could do to help when it comes to stopping domestic and, and sexual violence from an organisational perspective, what is the, the one thing that you would recommend
0: One thing, I guess, I don't know if I can recommend one. I need two. (laughs) Okay, two. (laughs) The two two things I'd recommend is you actually need something that guides the business so that the business has a standard set of rules and understanding that it's outlined. So that's probably the most important thing. But so, yeah, that would be my first. My one thing is get your policy. Without a policy, you've got nowhere to start. Once you've got your policy, then it's really important that you you get your leadership team bought into it, that they are owning it, that they are making sure that you're doing the pieces into the business to have shared understanding about what the issues are, how your business is going to respond, and that staff know how to access any of the elements available to them through the policy so that they know who that they reach out to if they need to report an incident. But you have to start. The most important starting point is that policy.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I just feel like I've just absorbed so much amazing information and insights today. I'm just honestly blown away. And I'm sure that the listeners will be blown away as well. I really want to thank you for tuning in from, you're in Port right at the moment, aren't you? Port Moresby. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if if anyone's been listening
0: for you for our for our session but I couldn't get the room to work if
1: anyone's been wondering if there has been a bit of a sound distortion occasionally it's because literally we're on a a wi-fi connection Morgana's in Port Moresby and I'm in Australia and sometimes the wi-fi is a little bit dodgy in um, PNG as I understand it it's well known to be that way but yeah Morgana thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me on Medusa's mic I'm just so grateful
0: Thank you, Lucretia. I'm really, you know, thank you for taking such a passionate interest in these issues, giving people like me who are also passionate a small opportunity to have a voice about it because I'm also not a very big fan of family and sexual violence and violence against women and if there's any small thing that I can do to help reduce that for any women around the world so that women can be safe, respected, live their own life, I'm with you on that.
1: Thanks so much for your company today. If you feel more informed or empowered after listening to this podcast, please leave us a review or share this episode with a friend or family member. Medusa's Mic is brought to you by the Stop Sexual Violence Collaboration, an enterprise to bring people together to discuss and facilitate sexual violence prevention and response initiatives. The music for today's podcast is brought to you by Dima Tishko from TuneTank. The opinions and perspectives offered on Medusa's Mic are solely those of the interviewer and the interviewees. They are our expressed personal opinions and views. They are not intended or meant to replace any treatment or advice you may be receiving from a licensed professional. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional, psychological, medical or legal help, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist. This episode is copyrighted and should not be reproduced without express permission from SSV Colab and Lucretia Ackfield.